Let me invite you to go ahead and turn to uh, Revelation 13 in your Bible, and we'll jump right in tonight. You know, one of the words that we're hearing a lot about right now is this word inflation. You know, people talking about gas prices. You know, I pulled in to the gas station to fill up my tank um, on my way home the other evening, and lo and behold, the price for regular unleaded, it said arm, plus said leg, <laughs> supreme said soul, so that's just kind of where prices are, and I'm, you know, I'm waiting for the powers that be to come out and tell us that if we would just stop driving for two weeks, it'd take two weeks to flatten the curve, but uh, anyway... <laughs> inflation, economic prices, prices going up. You know, you've got the conflict going on now in Europe, the continued fallout of the pandemic. Um, and they're saying inflation rates now are nearing 40-year highs, uh, gas all-time high. I came across an article um, it was referring to something which was actually referencing an article from Time Magazine going back to 1979 that included this headline, Inflation, Who is Hurt by it the Worst? And this article, all those years ago from Time Magazine, quoted a blue-collar worker by the name of Arthur Garcia who said this, I keep waiting for a miracle some guy who isn't born yet, and when he comes, we'll follow him like he's John the Baptist. In other words, here is a guy who's struggling to make ends meet in a terrible economy, who essentially says that he would sell his soul to the politician who could actually do something about the economic inflation and, and, and hardships. And I imagine that this is probably the very same attitude that would apply to a lot of people in our world even today. Uh, years ago, uh, Paul Henry Spock was the prime minister of Belgium in the 1930s, but he had made this statement, the truth is that the method of international committees has failed and what we really need is a person, someone of the highest order or great experience of great authority, wide influence, with great energy, let him come and let him come quickly. Either a civilian or a military man, no matter his nationality, someone who will cut through all the red tape, shove out all the committees, wake up all the people, and galvanize the world's governments into action. Interestingly enough, he was one of the architects of what's now become known as the European Union. And he said this, we don't want another committee, we have too many already. What we want is a man of sufficient stature to hold the allegiance of all people and to lift us out of the economic morass into which we are sinking. Send us such a man and be he God or devil, we will receive him. Now, folks, I'm going to tell you something. One of these days, the world is going to get its wish. And that's exactly the subject matter of this 13th chapter 
of Revelation. Now, last week we looked at the first 10 verses, and tonight we'll look at the second half of the chapter. But in our time last Wednesday night, we looked at the first half of the chapter, which deals with what John says in verse 1 is the beast from the sea. And John sees a beast rising up out of the sea, and he is given this vision of the grotesque monster coming up out of the sea, having ten horns, seven heads, blasphemous names on its heads, and we noticed how this particular beast had all the various traits of a leopard, a lion, a bear, and we, we saw how this really corresponds with the vision that the prophet Daniel was given in chapter 7 of the book of Daniel. And each of these were symbolic of a succession of world empires that would stretch from his day well into the future. Interestingly enough, if you look at the progression there in verse 2 from leopard, bear, lion, in Daniel's vision it goes from uh, lion, bear, leopard. And the difference in order is the time in which Daniel lived all those centuries before John. Daniel's looking forward at empires to come. John's looking backwards empires that had come, had gone, and that fourth beast, that terrifying beast that Daniel describes in chapter 7 of his book uh, corresponds with this beast that the apostle John sees that's characteristic of a final world empire or the empire of the Antichrist. And so this is the empire, the kingdom of the Antichrist in the last days during the tribulation period and verse 2 says that it was the dragon who gave this beast his power. So really in chapters 12 and 13, you have these um, characters introduced where John is filling in the details where you have the dragon who's described in chapter 12. We know that that is reference to Satan. This beast that's described at the first part of Revelation 13 from the sea is the Antichrist and the system of Antichrist. And in the verses that we're going to read here in just a moment, the second beast of chapter 13 will correspond with the false prophet or the beast from the earth, as John describes him there in verse 11. So let's look there at uh, verse 11, Revelation 13. <clears throat> John says, Then I saw another beast... Rising out of the earth, it had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs that it's allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. It was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. 
And also it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is, the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom, but the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666, 666. So tonight, I want, us to, I want to speak from this subject, uh, the beast from the earth. If the first part of chapter 13 deals with the first beast, the beast which rises up from the sea, which we said was symbolic of the nations, Gentile nations. Notice this second beast, John says that it uh, rises out of the earth. And so he sees it emerging from a different source, a less threatening source, and that makes sense, especially when you consider the way that this second beast is described as sort of appearing like a lamb. And the whole purpose of this second beast in Revelation 13 is to deceive. So the idea is, and, and this is something we paid attention to last week, going all the way back to the earliest days of Christianity, uh, faithful Christian men and women have expected the coming of an evil man who's the embodiment of anti-Christian ideas. And uh, the Antichrist, not only will he be a man, but he will sit at the head of a system. And one thing we've seen from our study through 1 John, uh, John says in 1 John chapter 2 that the spirit of Antichrist is something which is already alive in the world. Many Antichrists, John says, way back in the first century, they've already gone out into the world. And the purpose of Antichrist really is to deceive people, keep people in the dark as to the nature of true salvation. So when you think of Antichrist, most often we probably think of someone who is in opposition to the true Christ. And there's a sense in which that's true. Antichrist will oppose uh, the living Christ. But at the same time, Antichrist means in the place of Christ. So this is someone who will offer himself up to be the savior of the world. The world will get behind. The world will look to him. The world will look to his system as being its salvation. So anyone who comes along promising to be the savior of mankind who is not the Lord Jesus Christ who suffered and died for man's sin on the cross, arose again from the dead, ascended into heaven, is coming back in glory and power. Anyone who claims to be man's savior really is a liar because there's only one savior and it's the Lord Jesus Christ. So even now, Satan is working behind the scenes to unite man's world under the banner of the beast. The system, the spirit of Antichrist is already at work in the world. And one of the ways that Satan will so unite the world will be through a chief propaganda strategy, which is really the subject of this second half of chapter 13. And it involves this second character, this second beast that's described, who is referred to elsewhere in Revelation as the false prophet. And so one of the things that we've seen about Satan is that he has no original ideas. The only thing he does is try to mimic God Luther said that he was the, the ape of God. He's not creative. He's a counterfeiter. 
And so he wants to mimic God in God's nature and character and his redemptive plan. We know that God is triune, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so what you find here in Revelation 12 and 13 is the unholy trinity of the dragon, the antichrist, and the false prophet. You have Satan, whom is desirous of worship, who wants to usurp the place of God the Father. He empowers his counterfeit savior, a man who embodies anti-Christian ideals and will be worshiped as the world savior. That's the antichrist, who's a false Christ, a false savior. But this false prophet is going to function in many ways in the last days, like the Holy Spirit functions now. What is the role of the Holy Spirit according to what the scripture says? Well, it's to convince and convict. Apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, you know, no person could ever be saved. The Holy Spirit has to convict men and women of their sin and their need for God's grace. God uses his law to show man where he uh, falls short of God's glorious standard. Man is imperfect, he's a sinner. It's the Holy Spirit who takes the law and brings conviction to the heart, to the conscience of man. And yet the Holy Spirit works to convince us of who Jesus is. Remember the whole purpose of the Holy Spirit is it's like a floodlight. He's to shine the spotlight on Jesus. He didn't come to testify of himself, but to shine the light on Jesus and to point people to Jesus. And so one sign of a spirit-filled believer won't be that this person talks so much about the spirit per se, but that the person is just Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. A spirit-filled believer is in love with Jesus, shares Jesus, is a Jesus man, a Jesus woman, and that's the activity of the Holy Spirit in that man or woman's life. Well, Satan is going to try to counterfeit this in the last days through this second beast known as the false prophet. And the false prophet, really his whole Strategy is a propaganda campaign uh, on behalf of the first beast, on behalf of the Antichrist. He wants the world to get behind the Antichrist, to worship the Antichrist. If the Holy Spirit puts the spotlight on Jesus Christ, the false prophet is going to be someone who puts the spotlight on the Antichrist in the last days. And that's what the Apostle John wants us to know here in this second half of Revelation chapter 13. Now, A few things to consider about this second beast, this beast from the earth. Notice number one, his authoritative status. John says, I saw another beast rising up out of the earth. Now he begins to describe what he sees and notice how it differs from the first beast. The second beast had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. So in other words, it's deceptive. It has the appearance of innocence. It has this appearance of of something harmless, but it speaks with a forked tongue. It's deceptive, it's sinister and evil in its ambitions. So again, to go back to those illustrations, there's that picture of that first beast described in the first part of chapter 13. Again, the churning masses of humanity, this is symbolic of man's government, the the government of Antichrist, and the Antichrist who will sit at the head of that government. 
The world system under Antichrist will arise from this chaotic churning sea of humanity with all of its cultural and political and religious mess. But John sees this other beast, another beast. In fact, the word that's used there, it's alos in Greek, which means another of the same kind. He sees this second beast rising up from the earth, or specifically, literally, the land. It's the first beast emerges from the sea. That's symbolic of Gentile nations. Land is often associated with Israel, which is why some Bible scholars have been led to believe that perhaps this false prophet figure in the last days could be a Jewish heritage. But beyond that, I think that specifically the fact that the land is not as foreboding, it's not as much of a scary thing to the first century mind as the sea. The sea was terrifying to the first century mind. The land is something that's more familiar. It's something that is predictable. The sea is unpredictable. So again, this conveys this harmless, seemingly harmless nature of this second beast. The idea is that this second beast is inferior and subservient to the first. His authority is derived from the first beast. He will work on behalf of the first beast. Okay, now as far as its appearance, John says that it has two horns like a lamb, looks innocent enough, oh, but it spoke like a dragon. A serpent. In fact, I saw this picture and I thought, man, that right there kind of conveys cute, cuddly little lamb till that thing opens its mouth and it looks like a snake. Go ahead and pat, pet that thing on the head all you want to. I'm not going to be in line. I'll tell you that right now. But the idea is its words are a trap. Its words are intended to deceive The first beast is described in ferocious terms, ten horns, seven heads, ten crowns on its horns. In other words, this is a political power that's being described with the first beast, but by contrast, the second beast will exercise the authority of the first beast, oh, but it has the appearance of a lamb. And it reinforces his images of some type of spiritual religious figure, some type of philosophical justification of the first. Now, that's why elsewhere he's referred to as the false prophet. The prophet's role in Old Testament Israel was to convince people of something, to point people to the truth, to steer people away from lies and from that which is false. So a false prophet is someone who does the opposite of this. The false prophet still works to convince people of something, but it's to point people to a lie and away from the truth. You know, Jesus had a lot to say about this kind of thing, didn't he? He had a lot by way of warning that he wanted his followers to be on guard against false religious teachers and spiritual hucksters. Matthew 7, 15, Jesus said, beware of false prophets, listen to this, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravening wolves. They look harmless enough on the outside. They speak the same language, but their motive within. It's a sinister, evil motive. 
Uh, in Matthew 24, verse 11, Jesus said, in the last days, many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. Verse 24 of that same chapter, false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. So here even Jesus distinguishes between those who would be false saviors, wielding political power, with those who would be false prophets who would wield spiritual influence and somehow the, the meshing together, the melding together, the melting together of that political power and that spiritual power will be characteristic of a system in operation in the last days. Which by the way, most of humanity's empires in the past, some of the most sinister, evil dictators who've ever lived recognized the value of religious power and sought to control the masses through religious ideas. Um, I mean, you think about this. You think about how imperial Rome under, under the, the uh, Roman emperors, where Roman emperors demanded worship so as it would be a unifying kind of a thing for the empire. There needed to be some type of religion that unified all of these people coming together from all of these cultures, and surely the imperial cult could do that kind of thing. If everybody would just worship the emperor as a god, then this could unify such a diverse empire such as the Roman Empire. So they recognized the value of this kind of thing. Um, you go back through history, you see the same thing. What does Nebuchadnezzar do in Daniel chapter 3? On the plains of Dura, what does he have erected but that monument to himself and, he, and he, he has everybody throughout his empire, when they hear the sound, to bow the knee to worship this image that he had built of himself. What was the purpose of that? It was, it was wielding religious power. It was, it was, if I could use this, it was God and government. The melding together of the two to control the masses of the empire. See how that kind of works on people's thought system, their belief system, their emotions. You can manipulate people with religious ideas. And this is what is being described here in Revelation chapter 13. So again, by this point, John has introduced us to all three members of Satan's counterfeit trinity. You've got the dragon, you've got the beast from the sea, and now this beast from the land. The unholy trinity of the evil one. Now, notice the second thing. The second thing is his apostate system. Verse 12 says that this second beast exercises all of the authority of the first beast in its presence. And the whole purpose of this false prophet is to make the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. Now, remember that's something that was said about the first beast back in verse 3 or one of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed. Which many have come away from this uh, and have held to the belief that perhaps the Antichrist will go through some type of death and resurrection uh, in, in, to mimic the Lord in his death and resurrection. Or this could be reference to the revived empire of Rome in the last days that seemed to have died, been buried, but somehow has been resurrected in its modern form. 
But whether this is an individual that experiences this particular death resurrection or his system, his empire that seems to arise from death itself, the point is the second beast, the false prophet, exists for the sole purpose of uniting the world behind the Antichrist, wanting the world to worship the Antichrist. So he's the chief propagandist of the Antichrist. And this is one more way in which the devil will try to mimic God. Now, you know what propaganda is, don't you? You think of propaganda, probably the first thing that comes to your mind is maybe state-run media and some kind of authoritarian regime. A lot of people are talking about the state-run media in Russia and what so many of the Russian people are probably being led to believe about what's really going on in Ukraine and how, you know, Russia's wanting to restrict access now. They've kicked their, you know, kicked Facebook and uh, social media out of the country because they don't want their people to really see any Western news. State-run media, we think of propaganda. It's information, especially of a biased or misleading nature used to promote or publicize a particular political cause or point of view. Hmm. Someone says, we don't have any of that in our country. (laughs) What are you thinking? But you think about that word propaganda, Merriam-Webster had an interesting article and said that propaganda is today most often used in reference to political statements, but the word actually comes into our language through its use in religious context. Now listen to this. The congratio de propaganda fide, which means congregation for propagating the faith. This was an organization established in 1622 by Pope Gregory, Um, the 15th, as a means of furthering Catholic missionary activity. So that word propaganda came from a Latin word which means to to propagate. The first use of the word in English was in reference to this Catholic organization. It was not until the beginning of the 19th century that it actually began to be used as a term denoting ideas or information that are of questionable accuracy as a means of advancing a cause. Now, we wouldn't associate the term propaganda with anything positive today, right? Certainly, we don't think about spreading the truth, you know, propaganda. Now, we propagate the truth. We want to preach the truth, and we want to get the truth out there. But this word propaganda has a negative connotation in our minds. So it's interesting to me that this word, which used to be associated with spreading the truth, has now come to be associated with spreading a lie. Think of a propaganda machine by which it churns out lies to the masses. This is how Hitler convinced millions of Germans in his day to get behind the Nazi party. There was a historian by the name of Karl Dietrich Bracker who argued that the success of Nazi ideology can only be understood via the role of propaganda in the Third Reich. We look back on history and we think, how in the world could anybody get behind that man? If you ask that question, you may not necessarily understand how sinister and how dangerous propaganda can be. And you take that propaganda and you wield it or marry it to a charismatic personality and someone promising a better future, and it's a lethal combination. You seen those pictures? of loyal followers in salute to Hitler 
as he mesmerized the masses with his flaming oratory. I read where a typical press announcement of the time said something to this effect. Listen to this. The district party headquarters has ordered that all factory owners, department stores, offices, shops, pubs, blocks of flats put up loudspeakers before the broadcast of the Fuhrer's speech so that the whole workforce and all national comrades can participate fully in the broadcast. So there's coercion behind this propaganda. And the result was this nationwide participation in the Nazi agenda. That's what propaganda does. It's intended to convince the masses of something. And folks, in the last days, there will be no shortage of false prophets who seek to lead men and women astray from the truth. And there will be a chief propagandist who's going to unite the world behind the banner of the Antichrist. And so the dragon, he'll work to whisper his lies into the eyes and into the minds of unsuspecting people who will be desperately eager to believe something. The Antichrist will have this agent of propaganda in the false prophet and though he will seem like a lamb, harmless in appearance, he's gonna speak like the dragon which it will be the enemy's lies repackaged in some kind of a innocent, harmless form or fashion that sounds good. You know, the scripture says there's a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. The mantra of our society today is speak your truth, follow your heart. Well, I beg to pardon, listen to me. You can follow your heart straight into the pit of hell. Don't follow your heart. Jeremiah the prophet said that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You follow your heart, your heart will deceive you. Your heart will lead you into destruction. You follow God's heart. And God's heart is expressed right here in his word. So whatever this false prophet tells people to believe, it's not going to line up with God's revealed truth. Ultimately, it will be in opposition to the true Lamb of God. And, and by the way, I, I imagine that he'll probably capitalize on these ideas that somehow appeal to the emotional components of humanity. He'll speak the language of identity politics, marketing, exploiting people on the basis of what they want, what they think they need. This will be his number one specialty. <laughs> Y'all seen this documentary on Netflix called The Social Dilemma? If you've not seen it, if you got Netflix, it would be worth your time to watch it to just see how big tech often markets using social media and your social media patterns. <laughs> I gotta just kinda come down here for just a second. This might be purely coincidental. But I was sitting there the other night, Nita and I were talking, and I was somehow making reference to a, man, I really like the looks of those 2022 Chevy Silverados. Man, they just look sharp. Something about the body style in that Chevy Silverado. I opened up my social media feed. The first advertisement that I saw, I kid you not, was a Chevy Silverado. 
All right? Now, some of y'all, now, I ain't saying that now they were sitting there spying on me at 4153 Queens Grant Road, but all I can say is my little antenna went up. You don't think that the marketing gurus of today kind of know your social media patterns and they, they store all of that data. That's exactly how, you know, it's, it's a lucrative career. It's how they're making money and that kind of thing. Now, who knows all the wherefores and therefores about how this will be characteristic of the last days. But the point is, this false prophet is somehow going to provide all of the religious rationale necessary to unite the world behind the Antichrist and his system. And somehow he's going to bring together the followers of the various world religions, including apostate Christianity. I believe the rapture is going to happen before all of this, and so the true church of Jesus Christ is going to be taken to heaven. But folks, there is an apostate form of Christianity that is not the biblical gospel. There will be a lot of people claiming to be Christian in the last days that are not Christian, that have bought into some kind of apostate Christianity that's not true. And you got folks from other world religions, somehow it's just this global ecumenical system that the false prophet will unite everyone under the banner of common humanity and the greater good and it'll sound so good and you see this same spirit at work in the world today and remarkably the closer we get to the return of Jesus and the end of the age the more prevalent this kind of thing will become now that's why you need to know the truth that's why you need to be a student of God's word that's why you need to be in your Bible Yes, every single day of your life. So, there's a third thing about this second beast, and that's his authenticating signs. Notice verse 13 says that it performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs it's allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on the earth, telling them to make an image for the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. So not only is this false prophet going to convince people through the, word, the use of words so as to convince their ears and their minds, but he's going to use signs so as to convince even their eyes. So great signs. John says this second beast performs great signs. Uh, the Greek word there uh, is megala, literally mega signs. And when you consider what's going to be happening all over the world in the tribulation, you can see how people are going to be desperate to believe something. I mean, tell us about all of these things that are going to be happening on earth, all of these natural disasters and earthquakes and Stars falling from the heavens and that kind of thing. They're going to be looking to their leaders in those days for some type of explanation. So in my mind, I can imagine how the media under antichrist control will work to convince people that these natural disasters, listen, this is really the result of climate change. And, and by the way, all those folks that have disappeared, don't worry about that. You know, we're pretty sure that the aliens have come and taken them out of here. You know, so <laughs> that's just fanciful imaginative right there. But 
But all the social unrest that's happening across the world, this is really the result of white privilege. And all those Jews who are responsible for all the world's capitalist ideas that have kept the rest of the world in poverty and unnecessary disparities, they're really the ones to blame. And those kinds of ideas popularized with a charismatic personality, assigning blame, you can see how tensions will come to a boil. And people will be convinced to believe what they see and what they read and what they hear. And if that's, that's not just true of then, but folks, listen to me. It's true tonight. You can get people all worked up through a tweet, 120 characters in a statement. Before you know it, you've got the country livid over something where there's no, no context provided. And we've witnessed entire movements and cities set on fire over situations and comments that have arisen in a social media platform with a hashtag that's gotten people behind the movement. And I'm not saying that there's not some good that has come from some of that, where there's been some things that have been brought to light and needed to have been brought to light. But for the moment, for the most part, people are just, they just, they, they believe everything that they read and they believe everything that they hear without stopping to ask questions and to try to get both sides of the story. And you won't tell me that that hasn't fueled so much of the division and so much of the animosity that's true of of society today. People are quick to jump on some kind of bandwagon. So signs, signs to convince the masses One thing to keep in mind is what Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. He says, the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who were perishing because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. Now listen to this. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false. So the fact that they buy into these lies and this false propaganda is evidence of the judgment of God because so many rejected the truth when they had an opportunity to to hear it, believe it, receive it. But they don't love the truth. They don't want to hear the truth. So God just simply gives them over to what they want in order that all might be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. It's amazing how people will believe anything but the truth, isn't it? I mean, so many of the same folks who've been telling us to follow the logic behind the science are also some of the same ones advocating for transgenderism in our culture. Where does that logic come from? How how does that make sense? It doesn't make sense. I'll tell you, it's it's the deception of the enemy. The fact that people can be so confused. And it's, folks, I'm telling you, given man's nature and predisposition to embrace lies, you can see how this false prophet in the last days will make things seem all the more convincing as he works miracles which seem to be the answer to man's problems. 
I remember somebody told me one time that a good rule of thumb for life is this, don't believe anything you hear and only half of what you see. Because looks, even looks can be deceiving. A fourth thing to consider is the second beast's animated statue. Notice verse 15 says he was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. So again, it'll be through the evil influence of this false prophet that the world will be convinced to make an image for the beast. And the image of the beast, this is a prominent theme and feature in Revelation. It's mentioned 10 times over seven chapters, from chapter 13 all the way through chapter 20. And so this is the language of idolatry here. Images are associated with idols. So the false prophet tells people to somehow come up with some type of image to the beast and worship it. Idolatry. I could say more about that. You think about statues that have been common for the commemoration of events and that kind of thing. It would seem, if you take the text, just what the text simply says, take it at face value, it could seem that there would be some type of image that is erected. Maybe this is the abomination of desolation that Jesus is referring to in Matthew 24 with the Antichrist in the temple, setting himself up to be God. It could be that the image of the beast is put within that temple. That would, in fact, be in keeping with history because Roman emperors love to have an effigy or they love to have some type of an image of themselves throughout temples all throughout the empire and people were to burn a pinch of incense once a year to the Roman emperor and the image of the emperor within those temples. It was their obligation as citizens of the empire. That's why so many Christians were persecuted throughout days of Roman imperial persecution because they refused to do that kind of thing. It was idolatry. So verse 15, John says, the second beast will be allowed to give breath to the image so as to give it the, uh, the appearance of life. He doesn't use the word bios here. He doesn't say that he causes this image to live. He uses the word pneuma. That's the word breath. So again, the idea is this is deception. Satan can't give life to anything. Jesus said Satan's a murderer. He doesn't give life, he takes life. So what's being said here is that this image will appear to be something alive, something in which they could find life and meaning and maybe derive a sense of identity and purpose from ultimately, something that they'll pursue with reckless abandon. And it's something only explained in terms of demonic power. The masses will follow this icon to their own demise. Now again, you, you take this for what it's worth, but even in our own day, there's a sense in which this same thing happens all the time. An image of something which claims to give life, an idea, a cultural movement, an icon who embodies the movement. And the masses will follow that icon to their own demise. The dragon blinds people and binds people to their idols. And people work so hard to try to gain the world only to lose their soul. So it will be in the last days. 
One final thing that I'll mention is the administrative strategy of this second beast. In verses 16, 17, and 18, probably the most analyzed, scrutinized of all the verses in Revelation, if not the whole Bible for that matter. I mean, who among us have not found ourselves intrigued over the mark of the beast? The number 666. I hate this number so much, if I go to the grocery store and the sales total is $6.66, I'll throw in a pack of gum or a Mountain Dew just to avoid having to pay that. You'll do the same thing. I guarantee you, none of you have moved into a house with 666 as the street address. So there's no sense in being superstitious as it relates to this number, trying to figure out who this might point to. This is of no spiritual value. But the objective of the false prophet is to carry out this administrative strategy that ultimately will unite the world politically, religiously, and economically. So think about that. The system of Antichrist is somehow going to embody political, religious, and economic ideals. And that's pretty much society, is it not? Society is pretty much made up of the political, the religious, and the economic. So this beast requires that everyone receive a mark that identifies them as being loyal to the beast. This will serve some type of economic function that no one will be able to buy or sell unless he has this mark. Commerce will be an impossibility. You know, this kind of thing's not without precedent. You go back to the days of the Soviet Union under Stalin. The Soviets had implemented this kind of system with a ration card, 1931 and the years that followed. W.A. Criswell, in I've got a book of his sermons on Revelation, he actually quoted a man who lived in Bulgaria when it was under the iron grip of the communists, he said this about those ration cards. He said, you can't understand, you cannot know that the most terrible instrument of persecution ever devised is an innocent ration card. You can't buy or sell anything except according to that little card. If they please, you can be starved to death. If they please, you can be disposed, dispossessed of everything you have. You cannot trade, you cannot buy, you cannot sell without it. So in the tribulation period, you're going to have this system that's going to be implemented somehow, giving people this compelling reason to follow Antichrist and the system, and their whole lives are going to revolve around him and his government, which will intrude into every part of their lives. And only with the mark of the beast will they be able to purchase what they need and carry out their business you think about the world's economic system now as it's in a very delicate place. It won't take much to cause it all come crashing down. Cash has all but become a thing of the past. You've got the arrival of the internet. Everything's been digitized. Whether we like it, whether we not, we're all relying upon the security of electronic systems and massive banking institutions to manage our savings and our retirement accounts and Employees in the workplace, for the most part now, are paid by direct deposit. I got one check that I write currently, and it's the one I bring to church with me every week. Everything else is done online now. Add to that all this cryptocurrency talk. <laughs> you watch the Super Bowl, every commercial break, some kind of cryptocurrency whether it be Dogecoin or whether it be whatever that other one was that 
the guy that was in all those movies, you know, it wasn't Tom Cruise, it was the other guy, Matt Damon. Matt Damon wants you to get into cryptocurrency. That's the thing I took away from watching the Super Bowl this year. You add to the fact, here, here's just something interesting. I don't know if you can see this demographic. Let me just kind of leave you with this. The world's economic system, wealth. You can't see the red here, but this is a pie chart. But 99% of the world's population owns 56% of the global wealth. 1% of the world's population owns 44% of the global wealth. David Jeremiah's got a fantastic chapter about this in his latest book, um, Where Is All This Headed? Something like that's the name of the book. Where do we go from here? You can get that book, you can read it. But I'm telling you, folks, this administrative strategy of the beast in the last days, somehow, all the technology that's there now, whatever that involves, it's not for us to speculate, but I will simply say, We need to be discerning as God's people. I've had more people probably ask me just this last year, what about all the vaccine, the mandates, the shot? Is this the mark of the beast? To which I simply will say with an emphatic no. It is not. But the reason that so many people are asking questions like that is because we're being told to do something, mandated to do something that we're not necessarily comfortable with. And that just arouses fears and suspicions in our hearts. And how do we respond to that as the people of God? Is this 666? No. I don't believe it is, but I will tell you this. That number six is man's number in the Bible. The number seven is God's number. Seven is the number of completion. Man was created on the sixth day. God rested on the seventh day. The number seven is used more than 50 times in Revelation to point to God and God's completion. Six and six, six, six. This is, this is man in his imperfection. And it really reminds us of our need for God and his grace. Ultimately, here's what it tells me. Man is not complete without God. And man who thinks he doesn't need God and turns to the government and turns to everything else as his savior and substitute at very best, it's six. But God's a complete seven. And with Jesus Christ, let me tell you something. You can be a whole man and a whole woman. And isn't that just a good word? Let's pray tonight. Lord, this is some tough stuff. We don't know what all these symbols ultimately represent down to the specific. It's not for us to speculate to live with fear and anxiety. But Lord, we look to you in faith and we believe that Jesus Christ is Savior and Jesus Christ is Lord. And Father, my prayer is that we'd be motivated to share the gospel and to point people to the Lord Jesus Christ. And only in Christ can a man or a woman be whole and complete. There's nothing this world has to offer that's going to fill the void in a man's soul. And Lord, how the last days will be marked by such deception and such lies, convincing people that they are fine without God. When in reality, Lord, that's not the truth. 
Use us, Lord, to point people that we love and to point our neighbors and our co-workers to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ while we have time and while we have opportunity. And we pray all of this in Jesus' precious name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.